you are listening to Family Life at Cornerstone. A weekly devotion about what is going on in the life of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. I'm Justin Wheeler. I'm the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we're going to continue our study in Jerry Bridges' book, The Gospel for Real Life. And this week we're going to be talking about chapter 13, uh, which he titles Confident Assurance. Now, he opens up this chapter in a way that all of us can identify with, just talking about the various uncertainties of life. Now, we want to believe that every morning when we wake up that we know what's going on, we know what's going to happen, we know how things are going to play out, we know how we need to be prepared, we know what we need to do, but the truth is, life is very uncertain. We can have everything planned out, we can have everything packed up, and everything ready to go, and then life tends to throw us a curveball. We live in a we live in a very broken world. We live as very broken people within that world, and things can go wrong. Even if it's as simple for us as a traffic backup on our way to work that makes us 30 minutes late to a really, really important meeting. Uh, things just happen that way. Life can be uncertain. It's filled with uncertainty. I mean, the truth is, we could come home from work today, and we could get a phone call from our doctor or from a friend or from a family member that can completely derail the way that our day is going, the way that our life is going. Life could be completely changed and and altered by one simple phone call of, of either good news or bad news. Life is just that way. Life is filled with those kind of uncertainties. And, and with that comes a level of stress. Um, some of the smaller uncertainties, right? A little bit of a delay in your commute to work or maybe a, a changing of a meeting. That's a small stressor. It rates on a scale of one to 10 and on about a two or a three for most of us. Some people, you know, that just blows off everything. But there are some stressors that come at us, health scares and various things like that, that would rate very high on the stress scale. The question really is not will uncertainty come, but what do we do about that uncertainty? How do we respond to that uncertainty? Well, that's a great question to ask maybe for another time. This is really just an introduction to this issue because when it comes to our relationship to God, there are certain things that God does not want us to be uncertain about. And and he even speaks about it in the scriptures. In 1 John chapter uh, 5 verse 13, the Apostle John gives us this explanation as to why he wrote the book, the letter to begin with. He even does that in the gospel. He tells us why he wrote the letter. Uh, but in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, now, John is not just writing because he wants to comfort a group of people. He's writing by the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can, without question, say that God wants us to know that we have eternal life. There are some things about life that are uncertain, but this is something that God does not want us to be uncertain about. He wants us to know. So that's the burden of this chapter, to help us to answer the questions, and, and the scriptures are there to help us to answer those questions. And, and on page 136, Bridges gives us what he calls just three different means by which God assures us that we do have eternal life. And the first one is the promises of his word or the promises of God. Now, this is a big issue for me in ministry. It is not uncommon for me to have people come and sit down in my office or call me on the phone and want to meet with me 
and, and really they're struggling with the assurance of salvation. At some level, I believe that all of us have struggled with assurance. And it could be brought on by several different you know, factors. Maybe we're struggling in a particular relationship. Maybe there's ongoing sin in our lives. Uh, maybe, maybe we're just not growing the way we thought we should. And we have to come back to some very key things. And this is one of them, coming back to an understanding of what God has said to us in his word. Now, um, I ask a couple of questions when I sit down with people. First of all, I want to get to the bottom of where their um, insecurities about their salvation lie. Now, Bridges comes right at this. He doesn't really deal with a series of questions. He says, let's look at the scriptures. Let's look at what God says to us. He says in, in, uh, in chapter 11, going back earlier in the book, we saw that faith is a gift from God. And this may cause some to wonder whether God has truly given them the gift of faith. But he goes on and he says, but that's the wrong question. Instead, we should focus on the promise of God given without restriction in the scriptures. Now, I want to come back to that. I love the way he handles that. This is the wrong question kind of a thing. But here's what he says, and I think he's absolutely right. When you look at what the scripture says about salvation, these are the things we need to focus our hearts and our minds on. For instance, he quotes Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and, and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Now this is a promise of the salvation that is going to come and it's, it's given not to the perfect, not to the religious elite, it's given to the thirsty. It's given to those who are hungry and who are broke, who have no money to buy anything. It's an invitation for empty sinners to come and be made full. That's what salvation is. It's an invitation to the broken to come and be healed. In Revelation 22, 17, we have a similar uh, invitation. The spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. In John 6, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never draw a drive away. And then Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And here's a very legitimate question to ask after having tried to focus people's attention on these things. Say this, have you ever responded to these invitations? Have you come to Christ thirsty? Have you come to Christ empty-handed? Have you come and confessed your need of a Savior? Have you come and have you received the free gift of salvation that he has offered to you? Now, that's a wonderful way to direct people, direct them back to the gospel. It's almost a way of, of re-evangelizing them. Not that they need to be saved all over again, but they need to remember the invitation of Christ and the supply of God's grace that has been extended and offered to them. So that's a wonderful way that we can ask that question. Um, how do we come to a, a sense of confident assurance in the work of God? Well, we need to remember the promises that God has made to us and the offer that God has made to us in Christ. But there's a variation of the question, the ultimate question, that I get a lot. And it has to do with not so much, um, do I have the gift of faith? It's, it's really, am I the elect? Am I one of the elect? When we start studying Reformation theology, we start studying um, predestination and things like that, it causes some folks to question, 
And I always say exactly what Jerry Bridges says. Listen, asking your, yourself the question, am I the elect, is the absolute wrong question to ask. The question that you should ask yourself is, do I believe in the promises of God that have been made to me through Christ? Do I trust in Christ for my salvation? And, and one of the tools that I've used for years really has been Wayne Grudem. Uh, Wayne Grudem in his book, uh, Systematic Theology, really, he asks this question and, and he gets into it. I can't even remember exactly which chapter it is. I think it's chapter 40 in his Systematic Theology. He's dealing with questions of the genuineness of faith. And he says a lot of people want to focus on secondary or even tertiary questions like, you know, why don't I see all this growth in my life? Well, that's a great question to ask, but it's not the first question to ask. Some might say, well, how do I know whether or not I am one of the elect? Well, that's a great question, but that's not the first question to ask. The first question to ask is, do you have a present trust in Christ for salvation? In other words, we want to take people all the way back to the starting point of our relationship to God, which is not our good works, and it's not whether or not we understand our election. It's whether or not we're trusting in Christ. Are we trusting in the promises of God? Are we trusting in what Christ has done for us? Have we put our hope in Him and not ourselves? Do we trust in Christ to forgive us of our sin and take us to heaven? Do we have confidence in our heart that He has saved us? If death were to take you, what is your hope before God? Is it yourself or is it the merit of Christ? The question we really want to ask, the initial question we want to ask others when they come to us questioning their salvation or doubting their salvation, and the initial question that we want to ask ourselves when doubts arise in our own hearts about the assurance of salvation is this. This is the question. Do we have a present trust in Christ for salvation? And then we can ask some additional questions uh, after that, but that's the first question that we want to ask. Now, the second thing that Bridges talks about in the book on page 138, he talks about the accusations that come at us, not just from our poor performance and not just from our lack of understanding doctrine, but the accusations that come at us from the enemy, from Satan himself. Now, I'm going to read this section because I think it's helpful. I think he does a really good job here. He says this, we should also realize that Satan is our accuser. He is the accuser of the brethren. That's his title in the scriptures. And that seems to be his primary strategy towards sincere believers. This is vividly illustrated in his accusation of the high priest Joshua, recorded in Zechariah 3, 1-4. Joshua is pictured as standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. But God rebukes Satan. He takes away Joshua's filthy clothes, depicting his sin, and he puts rich garments, symbolizing the robe of Christ's righteousness, on him. Perhaps Paul had this passage from Zechariah in mind when he wrote, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. God no longer allows Satan to accuse us before him. In fact, we might say God has thrown Satan out of his heavenly courtroom. Now, this is something that we need to understand as a reality. Satan is the accuser. He comes to accuse us. But if we understand what the gospel tells us, then we understand that we have a defense against his accusations. And it's not to ignore or to minimize the seriousness of his accusations, especially when those accusations are pointing out our sin. 
but rather it is to look to the cross of Christ and see Christ bearing all of our sins, all of the ugliness of our lives, all of the severity of our disobedience. And it is to believe that because he bore our sins in his body on the tree, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are trusting in him. Because Jesus was condemned in our place, the accusations of Satan should fall away. So he goes on, Bridges says on page 139, when you're troubled with uncertainty about your salvation, recall the promises of God. Ask yourself, have I called on the name of the Lord? Have I come to Jesus? Have I come and called as one who is thirsty but has no money? Have I renounced any confidence in my own goodness? Or I'd I'd say it this way, have you abandoned your self-salvation mission and have you relied entirely on Jesus to save you? If you can answer yes to these questions, then you need to rely on the promises of God. Now, that's the first uh, answer to the question of our need for assurance, but there are more. He goes on in the second instance to talk about not just the promises of God need to be reestablished, but also we need to understand and appreciate the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that I also love to point out, and, and um, Jer- I'm sorry, Wayne Grudem points it out in his systematic theology as well. He, he asked that first question, do you have a present trust in Christ for salvation? But the second question he asked is, is there evidence of a regenerating work of the Spirit in your hearts? Now, there's a couple of ways we would understand the evidence of the Spirit of God, and, and in some ways we have to identify that it's mysterious. The, the Bible talks about it. For instance, Romans 8, 15 says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, which by the spirit of sonship, uh, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, this we talk about this as being the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. And this is somewhat mysterious, How does the Spirit of God witness with our spirit that we are sons of God? Well, Bridges is quite clear on this. This is something that we can't easily analyze. We can't easily investigate. This is something that has to do with the confidence and the peace that God gives to us as individuals in our hearts by His Spirit. It's an inner witness, and it's highly personal. But that's not the only way we understand the witness of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, writing again under the inspiration of God, he talks about this internal witness of the Spirit, and he talks about it being connected with our believing the gospel. So we should have confidence that the Spirit of God is in us when we believe. He says this, as you read down in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 13, he says, In him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here's evidence of the fact that when you believe the gospel, when you heard even, he backs up even further than that, when you heard the gospel of salvation and you believed in it, the Holy Spirit was sealed in your hearts. So if you're a believer today, if you are trusting in Christ by faith, if you have received Christ, then the Holy Spirit is at work in you. He is at work 
in you. And he's going to be at work in you in various ways. Here are some of the evidences that Jesus himself gave us in John's gospel. In John, uh, starting in chapter 14, he tells us that the Holy Spirit is going to come. And this is that wonderful passage where Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. Um, In John chapter 14, he says this. He says, I've spoken these things while I'm still with you. But I'm going away, and the Holy Spirit, the Helper, whom the Father will send in my name, he will come and he will teach you all things. Now, he was he was talking to the disciples there. He's going to bring to their remembrance the word that Jesus had spoken. But he says this to them later on, and this affects us as well. In John chapter 16, he says in verse 7, The Helper will come to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, and righteousness, and judgment. So some of the internal witness and work of the Holy Spirit is that he gives us peace and confidence that we are the children of God, but he also brings about in us a conviction of sin. So here's a good question. Are you growing in your conviction over the sin in your life? As you walk with the Lord and as you uh, listen to preaching and as you spend time with other believers and as you read God's Word and as you think on your life in relation to God and His Word, are you being more and more, made more and more aware of your own sin? And are you being convicted that you need to turn from that sin and you need to walk more closely with God? That's evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. He is coming to convict the world concerning sin. But he's not just going to convict the world concerning sin. He's going to convict the the world concerning righteousness. Are you being motivated? Are you growing in a sincere desire, Bridges says, to obey God? And are you growing in a heightened sensitivity to your own indwelling sin? These are evidences of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Now, he tells this wonderful story, this anecdotal, apocryphal story about Martin Luther on page 142. He says this, uh, In a dream, Martin Luther saw Satan standing before him with a long list of sins. And Luther supposedly asked, Is that all of them? To which Satan replied, No, there are many more. And that's how many of us feel at times. But Luther then said, We'll put them all down and then right across the whole lot of them The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. Now, Bridges says, whether the story is true or not, it teaches us how to deal with doubts caused by our sin. We are not to deny or minimize them. Instead, we take them to the cross and see Jesus bearing these sins for us. And that very act, he says, will motivate us to deal with those sins that are causing our doubts. So, is... Are you trusting in Christ for your salvation? Is there um, evidence of the Spirit's work in giving you not only peace at at certain points and times in your life, but are you being convicted uh, of sin? Are you growing in a heightened sensitivity to your indwelling sin? And are you growing in a sincere desire to obey God in righteousness? And when those sins do compile on you, are you doing what Luther did? Are you doing what all believers should do? Remembering that our sins, uh, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, our sins, not in part but the whole, have been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's, That's how we can begin to address the doubts that we have. But Bridges gives us one more. Uh, question or one more evidence uh, 
that should build our assurance. And it has to do with our love. Do we love not only God, but do we love our brothers? Do we love our neighbors? Do we love our enemies? Now, this can be seen throughout the scriptures, especially in John's first letter. 1 John chapter 3 says this, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Do you love other believers? Do you enjoy their company? Do you want to gather with them? That's a great question for us to ask. Because one of the things that is going to be evident in our lives is a growing love for God, the one who saved us, for our brothers, those believers in our lives, and also our, our, our neighbors. You can go back and look at some of the parables that Jesus taught and some of the commands that Jesus gave. Do you have a growing love for your neighbors? And if not, it's not necessarily an evidence that you're not saved. It may just be an evidence that you need to grow. And in order to ask these questions, in order to examine whether or not these things are true of us, we really need to be regularly examining ourselves. The scriptures even tell us to do this. Paul tells us to do this. Examine yourself, he says in 2 Corinthians 13, to see whether or not you are in the faith. So we need to get to this point where we're not afraid to examine ourselves. And when these doubts arise, when these sins are seen, when this lack of growth or need to grow is seen, we need to have it in its appropriate place. The foundation of our life of faith and the foundation of our answer to the question of should we have assurance, are we believers, is do we trust in Christ? Are we trusting in the promises of God? And then from there, the question is really, is there evidence of the work of the Spirit of God in our lives to give us peace, to convict us of sin, and convict us of righteousness? And are we growing in the fruits of the Spirit, especially the fruit of love? Ultimately, Ultimately, these are questions to ask, but ultimately our assurance must rest on the gospel. It must rest on the fact that God has said to all who call on the name of Jesus that, that, that you shall be saved. The unsearchable riches of Christ are a treasure trove of blessing given to us. and Part of that treasure is the assurance of God that he gives to those who have eternal life. What a blessing. If you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBCWiley. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thanks for listening.